Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Sensibilities. I'm your host, Bill McBride, here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Andrew Martz. Andrew, how are we doing today? Is it, It's good friend first, co-host second, right? Just want to make sure yeah, that we've got, always, we've got the always. order down. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Another beautiful Friday afternoon. When we met, they didn't even have podcasts, I don't think. Uh, they did. <laughs> I didn't know about them, so it doesn't that, count. That was All right. <laughs> so today we're going to they break also down. Had indoor plumbing and the television. <laughs> Probably taxes too. God, getting so old. All right. So today we're going to break down the innocuous acronym VUCA. V-U-C-A. So more importantly, we're going to address the concept of critical thinking as it applies to your investment decisions. So let's not do the baiting of the listeners here. Let's break down the VUCA. It stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And this term has gained traction in recent years for obvious reasons. And that tells us that there are new skills we need to employ in managing risk making smart investment decisions and planning for the future. So to me, Andrew, it's something that has always been there as part of the markets. But I think in this 24-7, 365 information age, we're starting to see that it's become more prevalent of an issue. It requires a shift in critical thinking processes, meaning we need to accept this as a perpetual state of change if we're going to be profitable with our investments. Only thing constant is change. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny that it's it's more prevalent now, though we have more access to information than we ever have in the in the past. So it would lead one to conclude, if I'm putting on my critical thinking hat, that it is not the access to the information that becomes the problem. It is the synthesis of the information. So if I'm an investor, the most important thing is not to know, but to be very aggressive about learning to learn because you want to be able to constantly take, there's so much information out there, so much opinion, some of it, you know, from very credible sources that can very quickly turn out to be not so credible sources. Things that come from people you've never heard of that you say, wow, like, they couldn't have been more spot on, though they may not always be spot on. And the ability to think critically on your feet and synthesize this data, we say this all the time on the podcast, but bring it back to you. How is this relevant for me? I need to gain perspective. I feel like almost 80% of the conversations I have is simply just helping people gain perspective on how things they're concerned, worried, hear about, think about, read about pertain to them. And sometimes it's, it's like, Hey, that, that thing, and it may happen. And oh my gosh, and doomsday. And should we take all the money out of the bank and bury it in the backyard? It's like, well, maybe (laughs) like (laughs) if the scenario you just ran to me actually plays out, whether your money's in the bank or the backyard, it don't matter. 
Yeah, like that's, that's not great, gonna help you. So you're great, focusing on the wrong things. Yeah, the, the little, just a little example really, and just a, a tangent of that, Andrew, is, is hey, I'm going to liquidate my, my stocks and put them in cash in my bank account because the zombies are coming, because the pandemic's gonna get worse, because et cetera, et cetera. The pandemic happened, you remember, right? It wasn't that long ago. The bank's closed, right? The doors were closed. Put it in your coffee can in your backyard, right? It, it's, it is, and that's what we're going to get into. The critical thinking, seeing a news article and reading maybe, hey, is this current, number one? Number two, is this an opinion? Is this an opinion article? Number three, like you mentioned credibility, Andrew, is there a journalistic spin on this? Is this coming from a news source or a person you know, th there's usually not multiple people that write these articles, right? So you can, you can question, and that's part of critical thinking. You question the sources, you question the information itself, where it came from, and how did this person, because it's one person writing these articles that you're reading every day, how did this one person arrive at their conclusion? So critical thinking in this sense is defined as the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment or course of action. So what, what are we saying? Do we do everything differently now, right? Hey, Bill, has the market been this volatile all the time? Yes, right? Where's the ambiguity in a stock price? We'll get to all that, but the simple answer is that the market has always been volatile, but is it maybe more volatile than usual in recent weeks, months, years? We always feel that. We always feel that this time is different. It, and if so, what's our reaction to that? You know, I, I would say the answer, uh, or, or better said, the retort is that it's a gray area. And that's the problem with critical thinking and how it relates to the stock market. Most times, there are not clear answers. And you know, Andrew, I love the psychology of this and, and human behavior. And, you know, I, I went got a degree in it because it's so fascinating to me as it relates to investing. Human beings don't like the idea of not having a concrete answer to something. We can even go to the taboo uh, topics of like politics and religion. We pick sides. It's what we do. We want to be able to say with authority that we know what's going on. We love to speculate, right? We're talking about, you know, burying the money in the backyard, the zombies and all that. And based on this premise, we know what's going to happen. It's simply not true. And I think we can see where we're going with this. This is how we get into trouble with investing. So the, it permeates perfect, every part. A perfect you know? example would be right now, modern day, what's happening. So you look at the markets and, and JP Morgan and Dunbar did a great study on this. And essentially what they did was they went back for the last 40 years and they took the calendar year return of the markets. So they showed you 1980, 1981, 1982, and every single calendar year where the markets lined up. So if you took the past 42 years, 32 out of 42 years, you would have had net positive return in the markets. Or another way to say that is 76% of the time, the market returns positive, year, positive returns in a calendar year. That's pretty incredible. On the same chart, they show you something called intra-year declines. 
and they notate it with a little red dot that shows how far the market dipped in any given calendar year from its high. Now, we've talked about where we're taking this from, but again, the point of the story is that in every single year, 42 out of 42 years of the most recent history, you would have had an intra-year decline, meaning every year the market goes down. On average, that decline is 14%. So where do we sit today in the markets down year to date? About 15%, give or take. So is what's happening today unique? No, actually, it's very average. <laughs> like, yeah. this is very normal. This is very typical. This is what the market should be experiencing. Now, again, you can't take information like that in, in a vacuum. You do have to put on your critical thinking hat. You have to apply, am I a, a 35-year-old, mid-career, making good money, saving and investing? Or am I a 65-year-old, retired, beginning the first couple years of my retirement? How I respond to this information may be dependent on my needs and, and what happens. And that's, that's where critical thinking comes into place. But the fact of the matter are simply what we just went over. Yeah, th those are the numbers, Andrew, right? And and you've heard it from a million people, like I, I've heard it too. You're the numbers guy, Andrew, right? Your, your nickname is Money Marts, right? So, but the numbers in a logical sense, we know that they're irrefutable facts. But just because there are numbers involved doesn't mean that a company's profitability is a simple math equation. So take, for instance, the balance sheet, right? We talked about that in previous episodes. We can look at a company's, you know, let's say company XYZ's balance sheet, and we see that they have a debt to equity ratio of 0.36. We want to say it's a great debt to equity based on the old standard between one and two is good. However, what if that company has lower debt because they can't afford to the, the cash flow to finance debt? What if it is really good but we say it's below average and therefore not as good as a competitor. So, you know, what are some of the other things on the balance sheet or income statement that can throw us off? Well, it's kind of everything, right? So we talked about this last week, right? And I, I mentioned it or at least alluded to the fact that like, sometimes I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't know if, if everyone has to care about things on the balance sheet or the income statement, meaning for your average individual investor, like, should they get into the weeds on debt to equity, you know, ratio? Should an engineer who's working at Raytheon or Northrop Grumman, like, dive into and spend his nights and weekends, like, analyzing the cash flow statements of uh, different companies he's investing into? Probably not. He should focus on being an engineer and building rockets or bombs or whatever government contracts stuff they do in those funky buildings in the South Bay. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I think a part of the critical thinking is like, yes, like I can figure out what all this means. And it's like, but why do I care? <laughs> like, why does well, this even matter to I, me? I, I will, I will tell you why, Andrew. And it, it's kind of the antithesis of, uh, let's go on the record and say for a second time, two weeks in a row, you're right. The engineer should be focusing on doing good engineering, right? On making that money, on increasing his income and increasing his value as a human on this planet and as an employee of his organization. He should not be pouring into the balance sheets of these companies. Conversely, though, he needs to put on his critical thinking hat and not say, hey, Coca-Cola, McDonald's and Krispy Kreme are cheeseburgers, sodas, and donuts that I really like, therefore it's a good investment. That is where the rubber meets the road with critical thinking. I, I'll, I'll give you this. You don't, 
you don't have to know what a good debt to equity ratio is in comparison to the other companies to, to make a sound investment decision. But you also have to see the flip side of that coin, which is you can't make your investment decisions based on some sentimental or emotional feeling, gut, theory, or political or religious ideal, right? Or even we, we talked about environmental, social, and governance, right? You can do that, right? Just know that, and, I, and I've known people that have done this, like, hey, Bill, I want to buy in my kid's Utma account, I want to buy McDonald's because I used to take them and get them chicken fingers when they were, chicken McNuggets when they were little. Oh, cool, fine, right? You know that you're giving up for the sentiment of having this stock. You know that you're giving up some profit. Okay, if, if you're okay with that, th- that's great, right? That, that keeps you happy. And that's what we're always talking about at the end of the day, you know, profitability, but happiness, right? So in the previous episode, uh, we discussed the concept of English versus math. So critical thinking to me is, is just this. It's taking the English and backing it up with the math and then taking the math and acknowledging the myriad of ways, sometimes opposing like we just talked about, that the English can describe the numbers. Does that make sense? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think you lost me and 99% of the listeners right now. Okay, so well, if, if, let, you, me, let, you, me try, I, let me try I, I, to let decipher let me, what you're, you're talking about. Go ahead, go ahead. And just use different, different vernacular. There are qualitative and quantitative factors to all financial decision-making. Quantitative is our math. Should I spend this much? Should I invest this much? Does this company look like a good investment based on its balance sheet, debt to equity, income, cash flows, blah, blah, blah? I have to assess the, the numbers, the data, and the statistics. I then have to qualitatively address how does this apply to the context of the situation? Is this debt to equity ratio good for this type of company based on all the marketing, the people that they, you know, they're who their executive team is, who's involved, what's the dynamics of the marketplace they operate in, where's the geography, all these different things. Or personally, does this apply to my life? Does it bring me happiness? Does it allow me to spend more time with the people I care? So the, I just use the words quantitative and qualitative factors because it's like, hey, there's some numbers involved, but there's also like the emotion of this that that's involved and I have to contextualize it for every single decision that I'm, I'm making, whether it's one that's personal or one that's more of an external decision. Even, you know, I see this with business owners a lot, right? Like you got to remove yeah. yourself from the business. You got to make decisions for the business that are in the best interest of the business, not in the best interest of you, because that may stunt or it may really prevent the business from growing or expanding or whatever it may be. Well said. Well said. So now let's break down the VUCA again, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Let's start with volatility. It is always there. Even in after hours trading, foreign markets, crypto, even bonds. Okay. It's always going to be there. Volatility. The quicker you accept that things can change in the blink of an eye, the better off your mindset will be for proper financial planning. You can get to this place of what is happening right now is not an indication of future results. That's good. So next would be uncertainty. When I think about uncertainty, it has like two words really that you you need to know how to get over it. You have acceptance and you have diversification. 
So you can watch like ticker symbols all day, every day. They're not going to go your way because you're watching over them or because you want them to. So it's beyond your specific locus of control. When you accept this, you will be happier. It's inevitable. Only when you accept this can you see how much diversification is actually your friend. You're going to benefit from it. So when you're quote unquote pretty sure about a stock, I'm pretty sure you could be wrong. And <laughs> you know when you're quote unquote fairly certain about a, a diversified portfolio, you're actually going to be giving into the uncertainty, right? So you're surrendering this idea of like, I know it all. Hey, there is uncertainty. Let me embrace that uncertainty. And, you know, I don't know for sure how to do this, but I'm more likely to be right when I have more options inside of my portfolio. Yeah, I think this is so important, Andrew. If you can be, if you can be cool with uncertainty and like, let's face it, diversified portfolios are boring. You can't talk to somebody at a cocktail party and say, my diversified portfolio is doing so well. You, you don't have any talking points. It's, it's vague, and we're going to get into ambiguity in a second, but it's, it, it's, it's just hard to release the, our innate need to be spectacular or to be different or to, to be positive or some extreme, right? And diversification, by definition, doesn't lend itself to extremes, no extreme losses, no extreme gains. You're the boring guy at the party that's telling you, yeah, my diversified portfolio gets 8% right. every year for the last 20 years, right? So, all right, so- What about complexity? Give me, give me the rundown on complexity. I, I, I think complexity, this is the one that most people get hung up on. So let's face it. Markets are complex. Finance is complex. Andrew, you've got an MBA. I'm currently in classes to do the same. Would you say that graduate level college courses in finance- even come close to preparing you for the intricacies of your job and the complexities of the markets that we deal with. Yeah, no. And I know that's true because I got my MBA with students who just came out of their undergraduate uh, degree and who were 22 and 23 years old. Did they feel like they knew it? Did they feel like they got it? Like they got it all now because they no, had these classes? No, yeah. no, I don't think so. And maybe it was just the, the subset, right? It was a small sample size. But you can tell in those environments where experience of being able to see, go through events in time, right? Going through being in the business, like through 2008, 2009, like that shapes you, it gives you real life experience. The feelings in the pit of your stomach of what's going on for you and your clients. And then what is successively happened years afterwards. And then going through different types of events, whether they're, you know, you see so many individuals, they lose loved ones, right? They, they lose jobs. They have these traumatic events in their own lives that shape their financial destiny. The more times you see that, the more experience it gives you on how to help give people perspective. And you lose that when you're simply young and, and you don't have time to experience all of that complexity that is involved in, in not just finance, but in, in life, right? Like there's just a lot of elements to it. And I noticed it with people who were in the program with me who were year, you know, had years of experience beyond mine, you know, were 10, 15 years beyond me. That's, that's truly Andrew. And I've always said this, well, it's the gift of age, right? The, the older you get, the more, you know, the less, you know, meaning the more, you yeah. know, you understand more that you know so little, right? Sure. So, 
Let's wrap up the VUCA with ambiguity. And I kind of like this word. You give me a, a GUI consonant cluster, I'm in English heaven, right? So it, it actually might be the one I like the least. I like the word. Um, you know, I'm a normal guy like anyone. I don't like uncertainty, right? Meaning I want to know answers. And I've gotten to this good place over the years with uncertainty being certain. That's okay. Ambiguity, however, it's, it's different, right? You're going to tell me that there's two answers to this math problem or there could be, and that's a tough one, right? That's a tough pill to swallow for investing. And we don't like it when we guess the wrong meaning from a number, but much like uncertainty, we need to accept it. And unless we, unless we do, we can be blindsided as the market does exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to do sometimes. You know, we, we were just talking in a last episode about the Fed and, and raising rates and all that and what the market did because it had leading indicators and lagging indicators and what it's supposed to do. And then it does the opposite. Are we surprised by that? I'm not anymore. You know, I, and I'm not trying to claim salty dog status, but I'm just, I've gotten to a good place with uncertainty. And uh, again, the only thing constant is change. Right. And ambiguity is different from uncertainty because you can have certainty in ambiguity. And I think about so often in people's financial plans, there are certain decisions that you inevitably will have to make. And those decisions do not mean good or bad, better, or worse. And the hardest thing to communicate to somebody is, hey, both of these things are going to work out well for you. You just have to decide which one you want. There becomes some ambiguity because this notion of there's quantitative and qualitative factors like, well, I just, most people just want the answer. Well, just tell me what the answer is. It's like, well, right. I, I can't tell you what the answer is. I can tell you the math behind the answers and they're both good. The, the, both of those will be fine answers for you. The ambiguity, I think, sometimes becomes in the where there's a lack of clarity on what your own vision may be. And that's not all the time. That's just how I think about it a lot of times as it relates to financial planning. Because again, there, there are many roads that can get you to whatever the end destination is, which I think for most people is just, I want financial freedom. I want to have choice and the ability to, to do the things I want and not feel financial stress. And you may get to that point where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm probably going to have more than enough money that I'll leave it to, to other people. Great. So here's some other decisions that have to be made. It's like, oh, well, what's the better one? Well, there is no better one. You just have to make it. Yeah. And, and Andrew, I mean, simply put, ambiguity and in, in, in stock picking, if you're, if you're trying to decide between Visa and MasterCard and you come up with a list of pros and cons, you know you want to buy one of these two companies, just go buy them both right? Give yourself a break, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you for listening. We hope you will like, comment, subscribe, and listen every Friday to Dollars and Sensibilities wherever you get your podcast. We bid you a fond farewell. And until next week, I'm Bill McBride. And Andrew Martz. We'll see you on the flip side of the coin. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. 
All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill, and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.